My name is Jeremy Quintanilla. You are listening to Age of Jeremy. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm the co-founder of Age of Radio and 3T Fitness and well, other businesses that I am working on. This podcast is about everything that I learn and the trials and tribulations it took to learn them. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Age of Jeremy, your place for finance, where we encourage you to become a millionaire by starting your own business and uh, learning about investments and personal finance and budgeting and being responsible and not buying shit you don't really need. But there is nothing wrong with buying nice stuff. I have a weird, um, I don't like to mention this, I like Louis Vuitton stuff and that's just, I don't know why I have Levi <laughs> jeans on. I'm wearing an ASU sweater today, you know, go sun devils. And I just, I like Louis Vuitton stuff. I like Hermes, Herm, Hermes stuff. I like coach things like that. I just, those are just things that I enjoy. Ralph Lauren, um, some, some small luxury things, but you know, I don't see the point in having a, you know, $5 million house because most of my time is going to be spent playing video games or hanging out with friends and, you know, the, the game table. So those things I don't, don't really, you know, agree with. I don't need 5,000 acres. If I had, you know, or 5,000 acres, 5,000, um, uh, square feet. I don't need that much space. So there are some things, you know, I like spending my money also on music and stuff, but there are some things that I, luxury things that I enjoy. Um, we don't go out to eat as much anymore, so that's good. So if you you want to get on a budget, stop going out to eat and learn to cook your own food. That's one of my biggest goals this year, as I've mentioned, is cooking my own food. I got uh, How to Cook Everything, The Basics by Mark Bittman. And then I just bought his How to Cook Everything, Mark Bitman. Um, so, and then I also got an awesome Dungeons and Dragons cookbook that you should go buy. They have break everything down by the different races in the game. So you have elven food and you have dwarven food and hobbit food and uh, human food, which I guess would just be what we normally eat. I don't know. Um, and so there are some chicken, there's a chicken dumpling recipe that's in there. Then there's this dwarven dish that looks really, really good. And then they have like ale recipes and it's just fantastic. I went to go buy, went to, you know, as I'll mention later in the episode, I'm, I'm trying to move away from Amazon and buying everything online and buying stuff locally. And so, and, and not by definitely, not specifically like local booksellers because we don't have local booksellers anymore where I live, which pisses me off. Um, and so um, I guess we kind of do. We have like a thrift bookstore that I don't go to. I don't even know what it's called, but I went to Barnes and Noble in, in Glendale, Arizona here. Um, I guess it was in Peoria. It's across from Glendale, Arizona, where Arrowhead Mall is. And I... I uh, went in there, was going to buy the Mark Bittman How to Cook Everything Vegetarian and uh, I saw the Dungeons and Dragons cookbook on the new display in the cooking area. And because I'm obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons, I went and bought it. Little treat for myself. You should treat yourself. My therapist, as you know, I see pay for lots of therapy, <laughs> apparently. Um, again, the, the purpose of the therapy is to continue to get better um, so that I can be a better manager, a better leader, a better husband, a better business partner, a better uncle, a better person. And, uh, and, uh, talking about, uh, in there about rewarding yourself when you do something good or when you've worked hard. So then you feel that it's, you know, rewarded and that reward to me has been playing video games or playing Dungeons and Dragons and making more time for that stuff. So I don't go freaking crazy working all of the time. Um, so, so yeah, so we're going to talk about something that is really important to me. And that is this fucking, or excuse me, I keep forgetting that I'm trying not to swear on the show, even though that's my personality. But I wanted to mention that stock market is probably going to burst, or maybe it's not going to burst. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But some amazing stuff happened to some amazing companies, and one of those amazing companies is GameStop, but we're not going to talk about GameStop right this moment. We're going to talk about GameStop a little bit later. So the, the, the company that I want to talk about 
there's two companies that made freaking that made that that changed that changed their revenues for the future. I don't know. I said that all weird. I was trying to, I was trying to like make that amazing and try to be like, you know, epic about it. But essentially what happened was Microsoft hit 40 billion in quarterly sales for the first time. One company in three months made $40 billion in sales. That is freaking crazy. And that's not even the full crazy part about it. But we're going to talk about Microsoft because why Microsoft is one of my favorite companies and I own Microsoft stock. And one day, if there's anybody from Microsoft, don't use this podcast as a reference point, but I'm going to be on your board of directors and we're going to change the world even more because Microsoft is a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic company, especially now that they have Satya in charge. But Microsoft Corp blew away earning expectations Tuesday as it surpassed $40 billion in sales and $15 billion in profit in one quarter for the first time sending shares up from their record closing price. Microsoft went only up 1.22% today. Microsoft is just a great stock. As long as they keep getting good leaders in there um, and trying to innovate and 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 being and and thinking forward thinking about what they're trying to do they're going to be amazing a lot of this had to do with their game sales right because xbox released in quarter four okay more people were playing games because of the obviously with the coronavirus and being stuck inside but the big kick the big thing is is azure and azure is a um cloud computing rival or web service rival or cloud computing web service rival to Amazon's Amazon web services. So one of the things that really helped to get Amazon up and going was their AWS. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, the Amazon web services or AWS as it's usually preferred to made profit prior to the rest of the business making profit. Like it was the first profitable revenue, like profitable venture that Amazon had and it blew up, right? Because it made it easier for anybody to get um, um, servers and these servers were cloud-based. And so and so Satya started working on this before he was CEO, if I'm not mistaken, and he helped get this going and, 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 and moving it to where it needed to be and getting Azure up and running. Azure is fantastic. I have obvious, I have Azure um, services. We don't utilize it currently. I'm not sure where we're going to be putting, you know, so I, I tested it out to see how it worked and to get kind of familiar with it um, just because that's, I like Microsoft and I like enterprise um, software and enterprise uh, products. And so, so, uh, so it's great. Um, so I think that Azure along with the games is what really helped with Microsoft hitting these numbers. But if you read further into the earnings estimates, Apple's going to come out with earnings t- today. So this, I'm recording this on Tuesday, but it comes out on Wednesday. And so the Wednesday on October, I'm sorry, on January 27th, 20, we were, uh, I was talking about my birthday earlier because I recorded a piece of this prior to it. But anyway, prior to recording this. And so so my birthday is October 21st, 1983. Um, and so uh, January 27th, which is today when you're listening to this, uh, Apple's releasing earnings and Apple's earnings are supposed to be $100 million in one quarter. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the iPhone 12 and their services um, features that they offer. And then also, the, I guess they had some really good Mac and iPad sales. So I, I think, you know, from a from a me loving Microsoft standpoint, fantastic. From, from me wanting to end hunger in the world, I hope they use some of this money for good. $15 billion in profit from one freaking quarter. That is crazy. You know, congratulations to Satya. Um, Satya is my favorite favorite CEO um, of my favorite company. My second favorite company is Adobe. Well, that being said real quick to this Microsoft, I mean, Microsoft stock is still so underpriced in my opinion. Um, I'm not going to go into the, 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 um, I'm not going to go into how I came up with my uh, amount of what Microsoft should be at, but I I think Microsoft is under underpriced. Um, And even if it wasn't underpriced, it has good leadership, Satya, um, and I think that uh, he's going to lead this company into 
have the future and it's going to be amazing. And same thing with Tim Cook for Apple. Again, I'm not personally a fan of Apple, but uh, I like the company. I just don't use their products and I'm not a fan of their products. And I'm a fan of Microsoft products. So that's all that it is. And then the other person that I'm a fan or company that I'm a fan of is Adobe. Adobe is an amazing, amazing company with an amazing, amazing CEO that has just taken Adobe into new directions and it's just phenomenal. So check out Adobe and check out Microsoft. Also, real quick, before we uh, uh, before we get into the next uh, into the podcast that I wanted to talk about, the other great thing that happened today is that Walgreens, you know, the pharmacy company, um, it's it's owned by I think it's Boot Alliance Inc. Or there was a merger of Walmart and Boots Alliance Inc., which I think was a UK company. Um, but today they just actually announced the hiring of uh, Roz Brewer as CEO for Walgreens. And I don't know a, a huge amount about Roz Brewer, but she was an operational officer over at Starbucks. And so I think that operationally, I think Starbucks has done a fantastic job. She was responsible for their maneuvering through the pandemic which I heard they do a fantastic job at. I don't drink Starbucks because I like good coffee, I guess. And so um, I uh, not to be a snob or a douche or anything about that. Just my wife used to work at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, and I fell in love with Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf during that period of time. I was like, screw Starbucks. Um, but as far as Starbucks as a company, fantastic. I'm happy for Walgreens. Um, Roz also used to work at Walmart, and she ran Sam's Club or a part of Sam, Sam's Club, and she did a fantastic job. And I think that she'll take Walgreens retail piece of it and everywhere else that they're trying to get to. I know they got rid of part of the, the UK portion of the pharmacy and just focused on the pharmacy that's now in Walgreens. But I mean, CVS has become such a powerhouse that Walgreens really needed to do something. Um, Walgreens or um, CVS, they have like, they created their own pharmacy, their own medical center. Like just CVS has just done a fantastic job that Walgreens, in my opinion, is just needs to catch up. And I think that this was a good place. The more important reason why I bring this up is because Roz Brewer is... Um, She's black and she's actually the only black female leading a Fortune 500 company today. And I think that that is just fantastic. You know, I think and I know that, uh, you know, Starbucks really has been focusing on their diversity and inclusion. And that's a big, big piece in today's environment, especially with these large corporations. Uh, But one of the things that I'm always an advocate for, the executives and the board need to look like the customers that the company serves. And so when I look at some of these companies, Companies. I think it's Experian, um, Equifax, or TransUnion, so I don't want to point any one of them out. But there's a credit card company, one of the credit card agencies that, you know, publicly traded companies, so you can go and look at their board, and all of their board are white men. And I think maybe one white woman. Every mother, every person, every person, excuse my language, I was about to say mother effer, every person in the United States has a credit score. You think... 13 white men and one white female. I don't know what the actual ratio is, but you think that a group of old white people know what's going on in the financial situations of young black men or young Hispanic men and women? No. You need your board and your leadership to look like the communities that they serve. So... I'm just really happy for Roz Brewer. Good for her. I think she's only 58 years old. You know, this is just the beginning. Hopefully she does a great job. I'm rooting for her. And I would just, you know, this is a good time for you to follow someone, right? So like, even if you don't think, if you don't like Walgreens, right? Or maybe you do like Walgreens, maybe that's where you shop. Maybe follow and see what their annual reports look like, what their quarterly earnings look like. And this is how you can read up and get more educated on nomenclature for corporations and start learning about the people that lead the companies because it's the people that lead the companies that are the people that you need to be looking at. I think that that will tell you more than any other other thing about whether a company is going to be successful. Like a, a perfect example is Microsoft when um when what's his name even though he did a great job I think he helped get Satya Nadella you know he started grooming Satya and I think Satya is amazing but like uh Microsoft's previous CEO um which was Steve Ballmer I wasn't a fan of Steve Ballmer I thought I don't think 
I just didn't, you know, he seemed like a really nice guy. I didn't like what he, where he was taking the company and I didn't own stock during that time. When Satya took over and I saw, read Satya's book, started learning about Satya, his plan for where he wanted Microsoft to go. I bought Microsoft stock and it's been great. And I think that that is one of the key things that you need to think about when you're doing it. And it wasn't nothing necessarily against Steve Ballmer. I hear Steve Ballmer's a really nice, uh, a nice guy, but like where he was doing, what he was trying to do with the company, I didn't think was the right thing. And he, I, from what I understand, he let Satya come in and do the thing with Azure. So maybe he is responsible for that, I guess. I don't know. Um, but again, Satya, I think, is doing a great job. So this would be a good idea. Maybe follow Roz Brewer. That's something I'm going to do. I want to see how she does with Walgreens because this could be a perfectly time for an undervalued stock. As she starts getting things going, people will think that CVS is just going to be better. And then Roz comes along and she just, just makes her operations better, gets their retail piece going, comes up with new ideas, builds new committees and boards and strategy th- strategy ideas about where they're going to do the company, move the management around, help with um, uh, mid-level managers. I don't know. There's lots of stuff that could happen. This is a good time to follow all that and see what's going on. Um, And then you can start seeing, oh my gosh, she's taking this company in a great direction. I'm going to buy the stock. And you never have to look, you never have to do financial uh, analysis. I mean, it would be good to do financial analysis, but I feel that you knowing about the people that are running that company and your belief in them will go further than anything else that you can do fundamentally or technical analysis wise of looking at a company. So, but anyways, that's my personal opinion. I would say focus on learning that rather than learning all the other stuff. We'll be right back after these break, after these breaks, after this break. All right. I haven't talked to you guys a lot about some uh, podcasts I've been listening to. A couple of the reasons. One is I don't do a lot of driving, so I don't get to listen to a lot of podcasts. One of my favorite things that I did get, um, I've been anti-Amazon for the last couple of probably about a year or so. Some of the things that they do, you might agree with, I don't agree with. Um, I don't think that there's traditionally a problem with Jeff Bezos being a billionaire, you know, I want there to be billionaires in the world. And I put out a tweet um, the other day that uh, said that the problem isn't that we have to to the problem isn't that we're going to have a lot of billionaires. The problem that we have so many people that are still in poverty and there needs to be something that's done to kind of help with that poverty piece of it. But I have been always an advocate if that you um, have a regular set of means, if you're born into an average um uh, uh, an average environment, then it, you working hard and starting your own business, you can accomplish a lot and probably get to that multi-million dollar mark. You might not be as successful as you want to be because we're, you know, comparing ourselves to billionaires, but I think that you can, you can get a lot further in life. Um, but there are other people that aren't born into all those, the regular set of circumstances and those people do need help. And that is the point of my comment about the problem is not that we have too many billionaires. The problem is that we have too many people in poverty. So I don't think limiting billionaires is going to be beneficial. I think figuring out a way to uplift the people out of poverty is going to be much more beneficial. That being said, I don't like some of Amazon sales practices. I am an advocate for competition in general. Um, I uh, am an advocate, uh, not an advocate. I am a uh, enthusiast or a hobbyist of game theory, with his, which is um, uh, mathematical. And uh, I mean, mathematicians, do, you know, deal with game theory. A lot of it has to do with economics. I think it's more interesting from the mathematician piece of it. Um, so I think that the, the co- understanding competition and how competition works is fun. Uh, but um uh, and I also feel that if if the people have level playing fields, I think competition can be also great. And that's what I feel that the role uh, is our role in the community and society is to help make that level playing field. You know, um, what's interesting is, is, you know, chess is, I think, is a good example of this or backgammon or maybe go where you all have the same amount of pieces and it's just you versus that other person. Now, of course, there are things that could that other person could do. Maybe their family, one person's family can pay for them to get really good chess classes, chess you know, books and things like that. And the other person can't, but in, 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 for the most part, they have that level playing field. And I don't think that it's fair or right that Amazon owns the market, 
right? That they created on the Amazon marketplace. And then they have people come into that market, they sell it, they see items that are doing well, and then they go and replicate those items. And then they make sure that the algorithm puts their items up at the top of the search list. So people are focused on their items. So to two points, if you're a business, I really recommend that you create your own e-commerce and I want to push and advocate for businesses to do that. So more businesses can compete with Amazon. And then secondly, secondly, I don't, uh, um, I don't think that you should sell stuff on Amazon um, for as best you can. Cause I, I feel that it, in the end of the day, they might steal your product if it's really good. And that's not fair. And there's been, that's happened on multiple occasions. And that's why I'm an advocate of not uh, purchasing from Amazon. And I encourage you not to purchase from Amazon too. But to that end, because I had so many Alexas or Echoes around my house, I got rid of most of them during Christmas and I replaced them with um, uh, Google uh, minis and homes and home hubs and speakers. So I spent around, I want to say $600, but I got a mini from my office um, which has allowed me to, uh, listen to more podcasts because I can link it to Google podcasts and I can just say, Hey, Google play, you know, streetwise by Barron's. It wasn't me by Shaggy. Sure. Playing on YouTube music. And as you can hear in the background, it does not work as well as it should. So maybe I shouldn't be advocating for this product. Let's try this again. Hey, Google off. Hey, Google, off. Hey, Google, play Baron Streetwise on Google Podcasts. Got it. I found three podcasts for you to try. Let's start with Baron Streetwise. Business today moves faster than ever. If you are slow to adapt, then you will get left behind. Hey, Google, off. Well, this obviously blew up in my face. So traditionally, it's been working, working really well. Hopefully, you were able to hear that in the background, but it did not do anything of what I wanted, which is really, really humorous. But um, but if I have my phone, I can just tell it to play on that speaker. So I got I got a mini for here for Ariana's room for um, my uh, for our bedroom. And then I got a hub for our I got the mini hub for our living room. And then I got the big hub for our kitchen. And then I got the big speaker. And then there's a couple of more things that I'm probably going to get because I just love having the connected house now. That being said, you might argue that Google's just as bad as Amazon, um, uh, and you're, you you might be right. I use a lot of other Google products. Um, I like Google's model for the most part until they started selling these devices because their model was always free, but you um, have to deal with ads. Um, but then they started their operating system, and then other people could get their operating system, which is great because you could go and start your own phone line, really, if you wanted, because you could use the Android operating system if you could create the device. Now... That being said, I hadn't been doing podcasts, so I wanted to make sure that I got a podcast for you. Now, this podcast that I have here, it's uh, Baron Streetwise, um, and this is the tagline. Get the lowdown on high finance each week with Baron's columnist, Jack Howe. Business leaders and trend spotters, insights and absurdities. This is Wall Street like you've never heard it before. And this is a clip from one of those episodes. This is called How to Spot Stock Market Bubbles. And renowned value investor Jeremy Grantham weighs in on unbearable levels of ecstasy and why stocks could lose 50%. But you're not going to hear Jeremy in this clip. There's a different clip that I wanted to play. And here it is. So we need a new indicator. And I might have heard one the other day. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. A colleague brought a penny stock to my attention. Now, this stock had multiplied in value in a matter of days, and the rally seems to have started just after the company received a key endorsement in an online video. I'm definitely invested in finding out more about this product, True Forma, from Zometica. It wasn't Warren Buffett who made the video. It was Carol Baskin. Oh, it's going to be a good one. I just feel it in my cat bones. Check it out. Yes, she's best known for her feud with Joe Exotic in the Netflix documentary Tiger King. They have a heart and a soul and a mind. I've learned from them. But Carol Baskin hates saying, I can't have these tigers. If he ever had an enemy in his life, it was Carol Baskin. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol at Big Cat Rescue. Now, if you're wondering what Carol Baskin thinks of Bitcoin, I'm afraid I haven't had the chance to ask her. But... Lindsay Lohan, 
The former child actress turned entrepreneur said in a video recently that Bitcoin is going to $100,000. Hi Crypto Buzz, I'm just here to say that Ethereum is going to $10,000 and Bitcoin is going to $100,000. Both Carol Baskin and Lindsay Lohan issued their investment forecasts over a service called Cameo. That's where famous and sort of famous people charge money to make videos saying whatever the customer asks them to say. And when Cameo celebrities are being paid to tout speculative investments, is that a sign we're in a bubble? Are they the modern version of Joe Kennedy's shoeshine boy? I don't know for sure. If I see Mr. T telling me to buy Tesla, I'm going to be concerned. Now, I don't know if anybody can really predict the market, um, especially in the mid short term, I guess, I guess maybe in the short term you can, and I'm pretty adamant about it, but I'm not a hundred percent sure Carol Baskins is the person that you should be getting investment advice from, but I could be completely wrong. Same thing goes with Lindsay Lohan. I could be completely wrong. But before I continue, I just want to give a big shout out to Cameo. And if anybody would like to get me a happy birthday gift, I would love a Gilbert Gottfried Cameo wishing me a happy birthday. I continually, continually stress this as much as I can. My birthday is October 21st, 1983. I guess the 1983 part's not really relevant. So October 21st, Gilbert Gottfried Cameo. Wishing me a happy birthday. I love Gilbert Gottfried. Now, that being said, back to the Carol Baskins. Who doesn't love Carol Baskins? Carol Baskin. Killed her husband, whacked him. Can't convince me that it didn't happen. Fed him to tigers, they snacking. What's happening? Carol Baskin. But the thing is, if anything, the Tiger King made Carol Baskins famous. Not 100% sure it did anything for Joe Exotic. (laughs) But I guess the point is, is that you have all of these people trying to predict the market and people are going to believe whatever these people tell them. I, I, and I guess I mean the average person or the person that doesn't have any investment advice. And the same thing goes on TikTok. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the bubble in the main part of the program, but I hadn't gotten a podcast to you guys last week. And I just wanted to kind of go over this podcast, which I listen to regularly uh, called Barron's again, or again, it's called Barron Streetwise. Um, and that's by a Jack, um, uh, Jack Howe, I think is how you pronounce his name. It's the same last name as my, um, my mother's maiden name, H-O-U-G-H, but I think we, well, we pronounce it Hoff. He pronounces it Jack Howe, I think. And so this is a Barron's podcast. Jack Howe's, uh, a great, and again, um, he is a, uh, a Barron's columnist. Uh, he interviews business leaders. Um, he interviews trend spotters. He provides insights and absurdities into Wall Street to help kind of educate you about finance. And I think that this is a great piece of content marketing from Barron's and a great uh, piece of content from uh, Barron's, whether it's trying to market Barron's um, products or not. It's a fantastic show and you should de- definitely um, check it out. But back before we get into the main part, the, the bubble thing is the main thing that uh, we're going to be talking uh, about today and some of the the telltale signs. This episode that I played from uh, Streetwise does the same thing. They talk about that bubble. And one of the key things that they talk about is that if more and more people are just giving advice, it means there's so much people going into that market and flooding it. They give some more, um, I guess, uh, a little bit more specific advice to what goes into the bubble and other things that might be going into it. Um, but I feel that one of the main things that goes into it are the people that are pushing it. Uh, and and to, to that point as well, to the people that are are pushing certain stocks, like the if you take the Carol Baskins clip, um, she said that she's invested in learning about whatever penny stock it was. And so she's enticing you to go in, in, in to invest it. And she's not specifically saying that she 
invested in that penny stock, just that she's doing and from, you know, going into it. And then you have Lindsay Lohan, which a lot of people um, that grew up with her probably still look to. I'm not sure what her her product line is these days. So maybe some young girls still look up to her and she's and that are in their late 18s you know, or late teens, early 20s that will be getting into buying stocks and things like that. And so you have Lindsay Lohan saying, well, I'm going to Bitcoin's going to go to this level. Ethereum's going to go to this level. And all the while, you know, Jack made a point in that podcast that these uh, these uh, uh, these these pieces of advice that came from Lindsay and Carol were paid for by someone, probably people that want to push those prices higher. And one of the main ways to push prices higher is like we've mentioned before, is to get to, to go and spread that information to the market. Now, that also being said, if you are on TikTok, and again, TikTok plug, follow me on TikTok. Um, if you are on TikTok at all and you look at TikTok and you get on finance TikTok or investment TikTok, you can have any person go and give advice, right? And so that's one of the scariest things these days with everybody that's out there going and giving advice. If you look up to these people, if you believe in these people, if you grow up watching them and then they start giving you the advice, you're going to go and do it and it's going to create a bubble. Now, there are some good things and bad things about that. You might be part of the bubble and you might get out before it collapses, but it only takes a few people to start looking at it and saying, this is completely overpriced. We need to pull out. And then that kind of starts this chain reaction. And then you see that drop in the price of the stock. And because we tie so much stuff up into this stock market, like I've mentioned in the past, I think it's weird that our retirement is based on insurance. Um, it's based on the stock market. When I say insurance, I mean wholesale, whole life insurance. Um, and uh, and you you get into uh, the stock market to, to gain money to retirement. And that's why one of the things that I kind of try to advocate for and something that I'm a believer in, if, yes, you should have kind of a, a small plan in place to get you to that $800,000 or to that million or $2 million mark. But if you want to grow wealth, I would say just have a good plan for that retirement and then focus on creating operating businesses. You will be far more successful doing that. And, um, even though there are things that can hurt, which we're also going to talk to uh, talk about today in today's main part, um, is if that bubble does burst and that recession hits, how does that affect your business? And what are things that you should be doing um, to prepare your business for that? So we're going to talk about that in a, in a few moments. We'll be right back. this song that means you haven't seen the mighty Morphin power rangers movie i think it's the movie where the green ranger tommy becomes the white ranger it's amazing this song is called trouble and it's by a band from the uk called shampoo i think it got released in 1994 it is almost 30 years old that is crazy I am almost 40 years old, which is also crazy. But back to the point of why I'm talking about this is because shit is getting real and crazy. And while I was recording this, Barons just dropped this little gym. GameStop trading could be systemically wrong, state regulator says. The top securities regulator in Massachusetts thinks trading in GameStop, which is up 92.71% today, which has been skyrocketing, uh, suggests that there is something systemically wrong with the options trading surrounding the stock. The video game retailer's stock was up 93% on Tuesday today, and has roughly quadrupled, even though you're listening to this on Wednesday, in the past week. It was up another 40% in after-hours trading Tuesday to eclipse $200. $200. Traders have been bragging on online forums about tracking large bets, the stock using options, often out-of-the-money calls that put off only if the stock or that pays off only if the stock soars. So, if there is one ginormous effing sign that there's a bubble, let's say that all of this is just, that, that there's nothing crazy going on here, that there's not, um, 
I don't know. I mean, systemically wrong, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's something fraudulent going on. So let's just say that everything's... It, it is systemically wrong that this is happening. GameStop in, in, in most investors and analysts' opinion should probably only be about $20. So let me put this into freaking perspective for you. Today... January 26, 2021, GameStop opened at $86.56. It closed at $147.98. When was the last time you bought something from GameStop? And you might actually have bought a lot of stuff at GameStop. I don't know. I went on there the other day because I'm trying to get another Xbox S. Well, we have an Xbox X for our main living room. And then I want an Xbox S for my uh, office. And then I want an Xbox S for my other other room. And so I want two more Xbox S's. So I went to go see if GameStop had them online. And I also want a PlayStation 5, mainly because of a new Final Fantasy game that will be coming out. Is that a lot of game stations? Absolutely. Is it over obsessive yes would it probably be better if i gave one of those xbox s's away to someone else probably and i'll probably buy one for someone else uh just the kind of nice thing that you should do when other people can't afford it and i think everybody should be playing video games so if i think everybody should be playing video games i should be doing something to help other people play video games but the point is is GameStop's freaking stock is at $147.98, and most analysts believe that it should only be $20 freaking dollars. So there is something wrong with this, and a lot of this has been skyrocketing because of the options trading. And so if you don't know what an option is, it's really good that you kind of think about what an option is, especially if you're a business owner and you're you're trying to invest some of your company's money into the stock market, or if you're thinking about buying some stock yourself into the market, or your company is focused on, say, like Age of Radio is focused on media, we are going to be buying media stocks in the company and other other things that we, that we believe in should be a part of our company and our overall cash port our our portfolio from the cash that we have or from the profit that we get. Now, not everybody should do that. I think some small businesses should, but the point is is that the point is, is that this GameStop thing has gotten completely out of hand. And the reason why I'm bringing it up here is because I want to talk about this recession if it bursts. But let's just put this into perspective with the GameStop. Why is this happening and what are options? So options are essentially I had a great definition up uh, option is essentially you hedging against the bet of what's going to happen with that stock. So, for instance, um, so for instance, an option contracts offers the buyer the opportunity to buy or sell depending on the type of currency they hold the they hold or the underlying asset. So, in the sense, there are some calls that are being being purchased. Um, uh, so, for instance, one of the things that came out today in the in the market watch was that a gentleman by the name of Chamath Palhilapatiya, um, which seems to be uh, an investor of some type, I've never heard of him before, um, but he bought February 115 calls on uh, GameStop this morning, and they're currently already in the money. And what that means is that they're selling above the price. The spot price is selling is selling above the strike price that it needs to um, above the strike price. So essentially there's a spread between what he bought, what he can buy the stock for when the option, when he decides to act upon that option and purchase the, uh, the stock, and then he'll go around and can sell it for that larger amount. So for instance, if his, his options, he bought for 115, if he buys those stocks for $115, they're already selling for $147. So that spread minus what it costs to buy the options is the profit that he's going to make on it. So it's Essentially, you go and you buy the block of options, okay? And then if you get in the money, right, and you exercise that option, you buy that stock, and then you go and sell it on the open market for that spread. And that's how you can hedge your bet. Because if that stock doesn't go to the amount that you want to, the only amount of money that you spent on it was the amount of money that it took for you to buy the options. So you do get less of a return because you had to buy that block of options, right, or those block of calls. But you don't, your downside potential isn't as high because you can only lose what you put into that option as long as when you exercise that call in this case and you buy the stock and you sell it, 
right? You sell it and you don't hold it. So that's the idea behind it. And there's lots of different strategies that hedge funds use, which are great to hedge against losses so as they build larger portfolios or, or fund managers essentially would use, okay? Um, and so, so in this case, there's this ridiculous amount of options trading that's going on that according to this Massachusetts regulator from this, this, this article they just dropped, thinks that there's something wrong with it and they're gonna be looking into it. Um, it also goes to show that there's a, there's a Reddit feed that is going and people are just trying to push up the stock. And so essentially this is, so now you have even more people that don't know what they're talking about going and telling people to buy GameStop. And all it's gonna take is one person to start this sell off to say this is stupid and it's all gonna be coming down and it just hurts GameStop in the end and all of the people that were buying it. Or if this is tied to people's, you know, retirement portfolios, that's not good either. But I'm not sure, you know, institutional investments or funds are going to have, I mean, some might have GameStop in it, depending on what they thought the long-term horizon was for it. And they're doing phenomenal now. But in the end, this could be bad for GameStop. Or we could stay really optimistic and keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And then when it corrects itself, Hopefully the correction isn't super huge and it kind of levels itself off to what they think that the real dollar amount is. But if this thing is that far off, this is just gonna crash. But for overall market look at this, this is a perfect example of what kinds of things can happen when there are larger bubbles coming. Well, because we're, we're throwing so much money at the market and the market isn't worth the amount of money that we're throwing at it. And one of the reasons that happens is because A, Americans are super optimistic. B, there's lots of self-serving people out there that are trying to keep the market going up because they don't want it to reset itself because they're going to lose money because they bet on the certain stocks wrong. Um, and so it just sucks because this could be the start of, a, of when this bubble bursts, we'll probably get into another recession. My theory, though, and... Uh, I don't think that this is going to burst this year, though. So I think that we have closer to 2024 when a bunch of collateralized debt obligations come due for a large of the larger companies um, and they can't make those payments. And then that freaks investors out when they can't make those payments. So we'll start to see this like flooding away from the market into other investments. And so I guess the thing is, though, the, the, I guess the thing the, the best way to stay safe during this type of this type of paranoia or obsessive, obsessive optimism is to make sure that the stocks that you do own can withstand those types of of uh, of hits in the market, you know. So, like when I look at companies like Microsoft, it'll be able to withstand this type of hit in the market. When um, it, it may kind of, I don't really personally think it's going to kind of flood through because there are some correlations between obviously a game store and Microsoft because Microsoft makes. A, they make games and they also make consoles for games. Um, but I don't think the sell-off of the GameStop stock is going to hurt it. I would think GameStop's not selling and Microsoft not being able to sell digitally would hurt Microsoft. So there's that. But again, you know, Adobe is going to be a company that could withstand a lot of this. When you look at like Kraft Food, when you look at Costco, um, when you look at... Uh, um, uh, when you look at, I personally think GE would be good. That's because it's in my portfolio. So, so super self-serving uh, option there, but, or I guess opinion there. But so when we look at that, you want to look and see what's in your portfolio and what you have and see if those are stocks that can withstand this because in the next four years, we will have a really bad recession. It sucks because it's going to happen under Joe Biden's presidency and people are going to blame it on Joe Biden. And I don't necessarily think it had anything to do with either Joe Biden or Donald Trump. This is just something that happens in a capitalistic economy because of the way that things are um, acyclical in capitalism and the way that capitalism itself works um, as far as the way that the businesses are concerned, not as far as the free market is concerned. Um, but I'm not going to go into that there. You can go and research uh, different economic systems besides capitalism, and you can go and look at Marx's theory on how capitalism continues to eat itself. And there's some very good stuff out on YouTube that can definitely, definitely show you that this is a true thing. Now, that being said, you're a small business owner, I hope, 
and you're an entrepreneur. So what are some of the things, if you know a recession is going to be happening, what are some of the things that you can be doing to make sure that you yourself stay afloat during this recess, during the recession that's coming up or during any recession or things that you should just be doing in general. And that's kind of what I want to talk about for the rest of the episode. And I know this episode's going a little bit long, but I think that this is important and I don't, and, and I wanted to bring up the GameStop thing because this is a perfect example of how things can get out of hand when people are constantly flooding because there's nothing in, in the information on the, in the information that's out there of why why GameStop would would be skyrocketing this way. There is nothing. It didn't even have good Q4. I, I don't even think their Q4 earnings were good, right? They they missed their Q4 earnings. And their stock is almost is doubled in like, I don't know, since January. Right. And so I think that that's and 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 that's something something to think about. And like the point that I was bringing up before when I went on to try to buy the PlayStations, not to talk about buying all that stuff. So my apologies, but it's to, it's that when I went on their website, it wasn't anything special. It was just a website. Like you can go and get all of that stuff on say Amazon and it's easier. So I don't think people are out there going to GameStop to buy stuff. They did have a lot of great like action figures and things like that, but I don't, I, and maybe that is doing better and maybe that's something that's good for GameStop. But if we're basing things off of earnings and what the, the GameStop is producing, it's not producing to warrant $147 stock, you know? And so you just have all these people that are buying it, continuing to push it and push it and push it and push it. And it's going to burst. And again, when you look at the overall market, those things are happening all over the place with people, especially with now millennials getting money and in investing with uh, the people that are below millennials getting money investing. I don't remember the Gen Zers, Gen, Gen, Gen Zers. Yeah, Gen Zers. Gen Z? Yeah, Gen Z. The Gen Z people um, or children or kids or adults now, they're getting into investing and they're buying stuff that they they like to buy and they're it, you're telling people to buy it. I was on Call of Duty the other day and this guy was talking to this other guy about the money that was in one account he was just going to buy Bitcoin with or c- cryptocurrency and the other stuff that he was going to go and buy some more stocks with. So it is bubbling. And this is the kind of conversation I heard back in 2009, 2008 when that recession started. So it's something to think about. So what are you going to do as a business owner? That's something that's really should be really, really important to you and something that you should be thinking about. And I think that the number one place to start is to look at diversifying the revenue that you have coming in. And I'm going to use my my family's first company or my my grandfather's company that my uncle runs, GenStar. They build starters and alternators. That's what they've built the entire time. They didn't move into maybe doing oil changes or they didn't move into selling parts or expanding or getting a bigger location so that they can diversify their revenue. And so when 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 things went away from people needing to go and get their alternators and starters repaired, right, they didn't have any other form of income. And it's just been a stagnant, slowly dying company for the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And it could have been a lot better if they diversified away from it. And one of the things that stops that from happening is because even though you're good at this one thing, you still need to have a good business sense. And that's why even though Elon Musk and I disagree on this, I think it's really good for people to go and get MBAs. Do I think that they're overpriced? Fuck yeah. Do I think that you should get them inspected? You're going to be a millionaire? Of course not. Lots of people have MBAs. Every single person that I work with at the bank for the most part, in my area either has a bachelor's degree or an MBA. They are not the smartest people in the world. I like them. Do I think they're all going to be billionaires? Absolutely not. That's not what makes someone a millionaire, but it does give you good business sense. And I think that that's something that everybody should try to figure out how to do and spend money on if they own a business and they need to continue to keep learning on that because there's the thing that you do well and then also the business side of the business. And one of the biggest business sides of the business is diversifying out that revenue. So you need to look and see how you're bringing in money and will that way be affected or can it be affected and how can you diversify? Diversify. Another good example is 3T Fitness, something that John and I wanted to do for a long time, but our investors were kind of against it, was this online 3T Warrior Academy program. And so once we were able to buy out the investors and we saw the decline from the pandemic, we said, let's just focus all of our attention on this. We'll keep the fitness center open. And that's skyrocketing because we have that different set of revenue coming in. And yeah, it's all in the same industry, but 
<clears throat> the way in which people interact with the different the software, what we're teaching on it, and then also having the in-person academy, different complete different revenue streams come from that because different people buy from those different revenue streams. And that is something definitely to think of is that you always want to be looking at what you're good at. How can you make more money in different ways with what you're good at? And then what are some things that you can integrate that you're good at with things that maybe you're not so good at that you could learn more about to integrate into? So that's the first thing. The first thing that you want to do is diversify. The next thing that I would say that's really important is to really have full control over your cash flow. In fact, maybe you should even put that at one and then focus on diversifying. I can think of one, two, three, four things that we pay for at 3T Fitness that I know that we need to get rid of. So we have a strong control of that the that outflow portion of our cash flow. Um, and one of the most under understood, under, understood, misunderstood, misunderstood, Misunderstood financial statements is the statement of cash flows. So I would recommend in QuickBooks, which is a lot what a lot of small businesses use, in QuickBooks, you have access to building a profit and loss statement. You have access to a balance sheet, and then you also have access to a statement of cash flows. Statement of cash flows is going to put back into the different categories what cash was actually not moved. So you could see what cash actually moved each quarter. Um, I know when we did one of our, I forgot what we did, it was either a grant or a loan. They wanted to see all of our statements of cash flows, which, you know, working for a bank for many, many years, we never asked for a statement of cash flow, which is weird because it's really, really important to gauge where all of the cash went. Uh, but you can also kind of come up with it yourself if you have tax returns too um, by coming up with a debt service coverage. But anyway, so really take take really take control of where all of that cash is going as it's coming in, how fast it's coming in, where it's going out, and how fast it's going out. Um, that's really important. So like when we look at Age of Radio, the cash flow on Age of Radio is garbage. Not that we don't have cash. Well, we need more cash, obviously. But the cash that comes in, it's so slow because of the way that ads are paid out um, because that's our main source of revenue. So when the pandemic happened, Age of Radio took a big hit. We also, you know, one of our advertisers couldn't advertise with us for uh, the last quarter and a half of the year because they wanted to focus their revenue somewhere else. But then as soon as January came back in, they started advertising with us again. So one of those key pieces is what is it you're good at? How can you diversify that revenue? But you want to have full control over your cash flow. So really spend and read up on your cash flow. Um, the next thing is it really invest in your client relationships. One thing that I am an advocate for that I that we continue to build at Age of Radio and at 3T Fitness um, is how we interact with the different relationships that we have. So with Age of Radio, we we have our we have our um, we have our podcast host. You know, how how are we communicating with them? How are we building good relationships with them? And you need to be honest. I need we I need to do better with interacting with them, especially during December and January, because these are the busiest months for me. And so, you know, not having the weekly Facebook uh, host chat that I usually have, not and making not being able to send out as much communication via our um, MailChimp that I should be able to send out, you know, that can really hurt their their feeling as being a part of our community. And that's the big part about Age of Radio is the community that we're creating, right? And same thing with 3T Fitness. We've just invested in a customer service model, um, a customer service team, so that we're being fast to getting people onboarded onto our online academy. And those are things that need to happen to grow. And as you grow, you need to make sure that you're, you're utilizing smart tools. One of the smartest tools that we use at Age of Radio is HubSpot. That's how we interact with all of our, our podcast hosts. That's how we interact with our prospects. That's how we interact with our host. Um, I mean, with our ad, uh, with our advertisers or sponsors. Um, that's how we advert. That's how we try to build our lead list for our Age of Radio Mercury, which is our um, our audio uh, production side of it. And so when we when we look at that, we just need to make sure that we are that you are building upon those processes, putting time into them, and really building those relationships with those people that are already buying from you so that they'll continue to buy from you in hard times. Um, and then one of the other big things that a lot of people don't think about is you need to build your business to sell it. So I need to build Age of Radio 
to the point where Spotify and Apple and all of these places, they want to buy it because of how well it's doing. That doesn't mean I'm going to sell it, but if you can build it so other people want to buy it, in the event that a recession happens, that could be a good time to exit your business. And that's really hard for people because they really don't understand that this specific side of building and selling businesses. And that's why I'm a big advocate for the family enterprise, is that the family is the enterprise. It's not the businesses that they own. The family can buy and sell lots of businesses, right? They just need to have the, they just need to look at their skill sets where, where the upcoming generations coming, what skill sets you want to build with them, how they're going to be in the family business. And, and so that's why I, I encourage you, if you are a small business owner, try to understand family enterprises and family businesses because the family should be the business, not the assets that you own be the business. And I think that that's really important and something that a lot of people need to look into because uh, because we don't understand it enough. And it's it's just a kind of a new budding, and I mean, it's been around for obviously years, but I think it's coming more forefront with, you know, podcasts like Successful Business Planning, with uh, the Family Enterprise Exchange, um, companies like that. Um, but to the point of the recession proofing, just make sure that you have a strong enough build it uh, business, because if you're able to sell it and it was doing good and that recession hurts hits, that might be a good time to sell it because it it, the valuation uh, might start to go down um, or or that might be a good time where other people, other companies are looking to buy to buy long lasting companies. So they might want to add it to their portfolio. So that's something to think about. And then you want to create a, a deeper connection. So one of the best ways to recession proof your business is to find a way to position it in a unique way that appeals to one identity. And so I like to think about this as making this one brand, right? So one of the things that I'm struggling with 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 Age of Radio is that we have the bizarre, we have Mercury, we have, you know, Age of we have the regular Age of Radio. How can I tie this all into one brand? So when people see Linus, they think of all of these things. Right. When they think of Age of Radio, they think of community and they think of audio quality and podcasting. And, you know, uh, eventually they'll be thinking of some other things that we're working on. Uh, and and I think that that's one of the biggest, the biggest, the hardest things to do is to build that great brand identity and that great connection with the world and connection with your clients and customers. Um, and then the last thing that helps with the recession proofing is the best time to get financing is when you don't need it because that's when you can qualify for it. So you should always have a backup for financing. Um, I always recommend to have a line of credit. So there's two. So there's two things that you can tr- traditionally do with your business. You can have a line of credit that is something that you always pay for regular expenses with. Okay, that's your like line of credit that. Um, is attached to maybe a credit card, um, depending on what you're buying with it, um, or a a small business line of credit um, that's just there so you can have access to cash if you need to buy inventory when you need it, or, you know, like maybe the case where I'm in right now where I need to get some ad people to start selling more ads to radio and I don't have the cash to get those ads people, so I have to do it. Where if I had the $30,000, I could pull that $30,000 as I need it throughout the year to pay this person to go and get me advertising right? And that's one of the biggest mistakes that I've made with this business as I've been learning with it. And I encourage you to kind of have that in your back, in your back pocket, that you want to have your cash available to pay other people to help with the things that you can't or to get yourself into a position when you can accelerate it, right? So like, so, um, because that's one of the things that I really need is someone who can spend 20 hours a week just focusing on selling ads and I don't have the ability to pay that person. And I could get someone to do it for about $30,000 a year, $40,000 a year. So if I had that line of credit, I could do it. Um, but so you have that line of credit to do it. And then you have another line of credit to cover for emergencies, right? You don't want, or, right? Because you don't want to use your cash for the emergencies. You want to keep your cash just in case, you know, the, as a last resort. So if you have a line of credit and an emergency comes up, you pay off that line of credit. You see what money comes into that, that month. And then you pay off that line of credit if you built it and you didn't have to use that cash that you're hopefully storing away. 
away, right? Because as a small business, you want to have six months of cash still set aside, just like we hear that normal thing with the, you know, a person should have six months of expenses. Well, the same goes for your small business. You want to have cash put aside, then you also want to have a line of credit for emergency and a line of credit for everyday expenses. So these are lots of things that you need to be thinking about and planning for that you don't think about when you're a small business owner because you're focusing on making the money to live and you don't have the schooling for it. And that's one of the reasons why I feel that once you get your business up and going, you start taking accounting classes, you get a master's. Master's, if you do them part-time, take like two years. They're, if you've never had any of the, inf the information that's provided, they can be very, very difficult. So you might wanna maybe go and get a Harvard leadership class or a Harvard finance class, or maybe like a financial management certificate, which is a lot less workload and, and you don't have to you know be, you know, have that bachelor piece already to get to it, right? And, you know, sometimes you have to take, I think it's a GMAT. I didn't have to take a GMAT because of my um, GPA. And so I was just accepted into the program that I did where other people, if, if their GPA wasn't where it was and the degree wasn't what it was in, then you would have had to take a test. So there's lots of other things that are out there. But I mean, I think that having that business uh, background and that business acumen in finance will take you a long way. So just, you know, be careful because a recession will be coming. So you want to position yourself for it. Have a great day. Enjoy. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Age of Jeremy. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. If you can do me a favor, please rate this podcast if your podcatcher allows you to. Talk to you soon.